Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad you're here. Uh, if you're new, joining us this morning, my name is Matt. I have the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here in Halstead, and uh, it is not my typical rhythm to sit. Uh, I've been battling some health issues for the last couple of years, and this week just got the better of me. Uh, so I am going to sit so that I get through the rest of this uh, service. But I, we are so glad you are uh, here with us this morning. Uh, if you have not joined in on uh, any of this series, we've been looking at, as you saw on the bumper there, the series called Reset. Uh, we're taking this new year and this new uh, opportunity of a new year to look at how do we pursue the life of change that we ultimately want and uh, desire? Because uh, all of us, I'm sure, could say there's some piece of our life or uh, an element of our life that we would like to see change. We would love to see uh, God do something or that uh, a habit or a pattern or mindset would, would change for us, that we all want a better life. It is a desire that really uh, all of us have. And so we started this series really looking at uh, week one was the desire that God gives us uh, to do that, that it is not only our desire to change, but it is God's desire for us to change, that he went to the cross so that what was true of your life that you don't like doesn't have to be true of your life for the rest of your life. The, 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 per, the pain, the hurts, the angers, the sorrows, uh, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, that that doesn't have to be true. And God desires a good life and a free life for you. And that was week one. And not only does he have that desire for you, uh, he ultimately has given you the power to uh, receive and walk in a changed life. That those who uh, make Jesus their leader and forgive you are, are given the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, who empowers them to live a life of change, to leave behind the old patterns and to, to pick up new ones. And I, I said in first service that um, I, I have talked to so many people who said, I have struggled with addiction or I've struggled with this uh, for years and I've, I've worked for sobriety or whatever it is and I couldn't and I couldn't and I met Jesus and I finally surrendered and I got the power I needed to live free and, and here I am X amount of years sober. Well, what is that? That's the individual, that's us, coming to the point of realization that we in ourselves don't have what it takes to be the type of people God calls us to be. We need help. And that's okay because we have it. We have it in the person uh, of Jesus and in his spirit. And, and so that was the first two weeks is really have looked at uh, that. Now, now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to be honest about how complicated life can feel sometimes. Right? Like As you consider change, especially considering change, uh, it can be really difficult to navigate what, what do you do? Do you go left? Do you go right? Do you do this? Do you do that? Right? Like, if you're fine with the direction your life is going and, and you're pretty good with it, you're going to just continue a pretty easy path. You're going to make the same decisions you've made over and over, and they're going to continue to get you the results you have been receiving over the same period of time. But if you want a different life, if you really want to change, it means you're going to come into a new season that you've not navigated before. Right? Like if you had kids and you had little ones, um, that was a new season and you try to figure out how to navigate having little kids and you're worried about them chewing on sticks and choking themselves and, and breaking their psyche, right? Like you're just all these things like, should I yell at the kid? Should I not yell at the kid? What do I do? Right? All those questions and you don't have necessarily clear answers because everybody has an opinion on it. Well, then they become teenagers just when you sort of figured that phase out and you realize you know nothing about parenting at least according to the teenagers, you know nothing about parenting. And you've learned to be wrong more than you are right, and, and it's really complicated. Do we let them do this or do we let them do that? What sort of uh, guidelines do we have? And, and you, you want to go ask somebody questions, and maybe there's some helpful people in your life that you can ask those questions, but you have to make those decisions for yourself, and they can feel complicated. Whatever it is for you, life has given us endless amount of opportunities to choose our path to choose the direction we're going to go. 
Uh, prior to coming to um, Bridgewater and serving here, I served for five years overseas, and I primarily served in the nation of Taiwan. Um, now, I grew up, I was born in Owego, and then I grew up on the south side of Binghamton. Um, so not exactly a thriving metropolis, but it had a few more stoplights uh, than Halstead does. And so I was a little familiar with traffic, and then I moved to Taiwan. If you're not familiar with Taiwan, I live just on the outskirts of Taipei City. I'm going to throw the picture of Taipei City up there. It is home to, the city itself is home to 2.6 million people. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot in a very small, very uh, dense area. I lived about 20 minutes on the north side of uh, the city. And uh, one day, very early on in my time there, I had to go to drive to Costco. And yes, there is Costco in, in Taiwan. It is a lot more like Manhattan than you would think. Um, so I'm on the other side of Taipei and think I have to get to the other side to Costco. Well, I was the OG of the cell phone world, so I didn't even have a flip phone. I had one of those, like, just single Nokia phones, right? Everybody, come on. If they're still your favorite cell phone, raise your hand, all right? You could play Snake, and you never had to find your charger except maybe once a month when it finally needed to be charged. Anyway, so I had no GPS. I had uh, directions written down on a piece of paper, and I had a co-pilot who didn't speak Chinese. I also didn't speak Chinese at the time didn't know where Costco was, and didn't know how to drive as well. So I'm not really sure why I got paired with this co-pilot. Um, thankfully, Taiwan is a little bit foreigner friendly, so they have all of their signs in Chinese, but below them, they have English uh, letters that make Chinese sounds. It's called pinyin. So I could kind of figure out a few signs. Anyway, so off we went. Uh, I'm pretty confident in my navigation skills, and so I made the first couple turns uh, pretty all right and knew I was headed in the right direction. And then I got to a highway interchange uh, that looked very similar to this one. I couldn't find the exact one. This is Taiwan, and to be honest, the one I was trying to navigate was more complicated than this one. Uh, and <clears throat> I got a little stressed out, all right? <laughs> I came up to this big intersection, and there was about literally six ways I could have gone, and I thought, I am getting so lost. This is so bad. Because there's traffic's a little bit like New Jersey. Uh, so you, to go left, you go right, because that's totally logical. Um, and I got us so lost. And at one point, I've taken so many wrong turns off the exits, I think I'm actually headed back the direction I came from. Not really sure how it happened. But I thought, man, if I keep taking all these wrong turns, we are never getting home. Like, we're just going to be eternally lost within Taipei City. So I get off the highway which really isn't that much simpler of navigation because here's what most roads look like uh, in Taipei City. This is not an exaggeration. This is an average day where lane splitting is not only encouraged, it's required. And so as you're driving, you think, oh, let me just turn into the next lane. Well, then a, a scooter is going to go by you in between those two lanes. So I am sweating. It's like 100 degrees. I'm lost. Somehow I look up and see the Costco sign in front of me and say, we've made it. Well, I drove around the block a couple more times before I could figure out how to get into the parking lot, and then we made it. I learned a couple things that day. One, it's time to give up the Nokia and get some navigation on my phone. Two, it is time to learn Chinese. And three, I'm never going to complain about the traffic on the south side of Binghamton ever again. As I consider this, I, I know there's a lot of choices I had to make, but do you realize you have 35,000 choices you make every day? Considering you sleep an average of seven hours and considering you're not deciding whether you should get up and use the restroom during those seven hours and you don't make any decisions during those seven hours, you're making 35,000 decisions a day, which equates to 2,000 decisions an hour and one decision every two seconds. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal until you realize that your life 
where you are right now is a direct result of what you have done with those 35,000 decisions day in and day out. And it can feel a little complicated. It can feel a little difficult to navigate because you know you want to be a better parent. You know you want to be a better spouse. You know you want to be kinder. Whatever it is, fill out uh, the blank. How do you get there? How do you find your way there? Wouldn't it be great if there was like a GPS for life? Like it was just this little voice that you were walking around and it said, should I say this or not? No, you should definitely not say that. Okay, all right, good, got it, right? Well, there isn't, at least not from the world, but there is God's word. See, God gave us his word as, as that type of GPS, that type of filter for us, that we can look at the decisions we're making and go, oh, where is this decision ultimately going to lead me? It, it may not be even a wrong decision. It may be two morally good decisions, but which way do I go? Well, God's word is uh, that very navigation for us if we're willing to listen to it and follow it. See, we believe so much in the word of God here, and, and you're at church, and so I don't, I'm going to assume how some of you might feel, but I don't know how you feel about the Bible. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and for you, uh, the Bible is just, it's rich, and it's important, and it's a valuable part of your life, and you internalize it, and you memorize it, and you, and you really do your best to apply it. If that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope this encourages you to keep doing that this morning. Maybe you're here, and you know the Bible's important. Um, you know it's valuable, but it's not really top priority in your life. Not because you don't want it to be. You're just, you're just busy, and you've got a lot of things going on, and maybe it's a little hard uh, to understand for you sometimes. Well, I'm really glad you're here today. I hope today encourages you to begin to pursue what it would look like to, to return to the scriptures. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you're here because this feels good, because you enjoy it, or because somebody invited you, but frankly, you don't really know much about the Bible or you don't trust the Bible. You've heard some things that make you think uh, it, it's outdated or irrelevant, um, but by and large, church makes you feel good, so, so you're here. I'm really glad you're here too. Because I think the word of God would speak to you, and I hope today speaks to you, that not only is this not outdated, it is, it is trustworthy and true, and it has for us the necessary things that we need to find the pathway to change. You see, we love the Bible here, not because the Bible is an end to itself. We love it because uh, what Tozer says here, he captures it very well. He says, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. We love the Bible not because the Bible in itself is an end. We love it because it reveals to us God. It puts to words the indescribable, infinite, otherwise unknowable God in words we can read. It takes what would be more complicated than Chinese and simplifies it so that we can not only know our Savior, but be in an intimate and satisfying relationship with the God of the universe. We love the Bible because it reveals to us Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who ultimately has the power to set our life free. In fact, Jesus makes this claim in John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You ever considered the claim Jesus makes right there? He doesn't say, I know truth, though he does. He doesn't say, I have truth, though he does. He says, I am the truth. He sets himself up as the very definition of truth itself. See, truth is not subjective. Truth belongs to him because all of creation was born through him. 
Everything exists through him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see, Jesus is the center post of truth. And in his word, he reveals to us both his character, his heart, and his desire for you. He makes another really interesting claim about truth a couple chapters earlier, John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to the things I say, you are really my disciples or my followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In a culture that, by and large, rejects objective truth, Jesus makes this claim that says, not only is there objective truth, I am that truth, and if you would follow my teachings, you would know me, you would be in relationship with me, then you'd be free. The very freedom that we chase incessantly in life, Jesus offers, and the pathway to knowing that freedom is in his word. Here's what I want you to see this morning, that following God's word leads to a life of freedom. Following the Bible, following the rules and the laws and the statutes and the way of Jesus leads us towards the life of freedom. Now, can I tell you that's not the narrative the world is spinning? The narrative the world is spinning and culture is spinning is that if you would do whatever is true to yourself, if you would follow your own inner voice, if you would listen to your desires and you would do them, if you would just be you, then you'd be free and you'd be happy and, and you'd be free of all the social constraints and all those things. Well, there's a tension set here. Do I, do I listen to the way of the world which offers me this supposed freedom or do I listen to the creator of the universe who's offering me guaranteed freedom if I would follow his ways? There's this tension point that each one of us are going to have to wrestle which voice are we going to let guide the 35,000 decisions we make every day. John Mark Comer, a pastor and author, says this. He says, the Bible and our culture have opposite definitions of freedom and slavery. The Bible is about freedom from. Freedom from the enslavement of our desires. Freedom from the enslavement uh, and control of other people. Our culture believes in freedom too. Freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. We are faced with a choice, freedom from destruction, which is God's offer to us, a life free of destruction, or freedom to destroy ourselves and others around us, which is the world's offer. And you think, wow, that sounds a little bit extreme on the world's offer, isn't it? All it takes is an honest look where rules and, and government and governance and morality are not true among a populace of people. And you see what we do. And this isn't an us out there or them out there. This is humanity apart from the guidelines and guideposts of God's loving ways. If you are ever wondering what uh, life looks like apart from God, jump back to the book of Judges. Book of Judges, you see this phrase over and over again that says, man did what was right in his own eyes. Can I tell you no book is harder to read than the book of Judges? Because it reveals what we're capable of apart from God's loving guidance in our life. You, you know those phrases, just do what you want, you be you, your truth is your truth, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. Like, Do you know where that last phrase came from? The heart wants what the heart wants. 
It came out of an interview with Woody Allen, a famed Hollywood actor. He was being interviewed, and the question he was being asked was how he was okay with the fact that he was married to his wife and in a relationship with his wife's adopted daughter, Mia, simultaneously. His, his wife's daughter was uh, 21, and he was much later in life. And he's being asked the question, how, is this, how are you okay with that? You're with her mom and the daughter all at the same time. Like, help me understand this. And he just leans back casually and goes, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's where these things will lead us. That's where my heart will go unless God gives me direction and hope. I will get lost. But the good news is I don't have to. I don't have to go and face these decisions in, in, in wonder or in mystery. God has given us the answers to not only reach a life of godliness, but the life of freedom we all ultimately long for and desire. That I don't have to go wandering and chasing to find these things. God has given me the pathway to these things. So what I want to do this morning is I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Psalms 119. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to put one for free in your hands back uh, out of the Welcome Center there. If not, it'll be on the screen here behind me. But uh, Psalms 119 is, is an incredible uh, passage of Scripture uh, written by a man who was in love with God's law and his ways. And, and while he's writing this, the only thing that existed uh, was the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, so when he's writing, he's talking about Old Testament things, but he understands that what it's doing is it's revealing who God is, and he's talking with, with great joy and passion about his love for uh, God's word. Now, I'm not going to read all 176 verses. You would fall asleep on me, but here's what I would encourage you to do. I'm going to cover about 10. I would encourage you this week, if you have some time, go ahead and open to Psalms 119 and read it for yourself. See how many things you can pull out that are benefits and and in guideposts to your life that, that come from God's word. So Psalms 119 is about right, uh, right in the middle of your Bible there. Uh, I'm just going to kind of walk through these and hope, uh, hopefully what it does for you is it one, encourages you uh, to get in the word and two, it just brings us to awe of uh, the way that God would lead us. Psalms 119 verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. He says right off the bat, he says, if you're going to follow God's law and if you're, you're going to uh, obey him, you're going to end up leading and following it will lead you to a life that is blameless. If following it will, will help us walk blameless. Now, this word blameless isn't something we use very often, but can you imagine for a moment a life where you never had to look over your shoulder ever? You never had to wonder if that thing you said was ever going to catch up to you. You never had to leave a conversation going, man, I really hope I didn't screw that one up, and now I have to go apologize. If you could leave a room thinking, man, I, I don't have to go back and apologize for how I treated anybody because I was blameless in how I treated them. Now that, to me, is a, is a wonderful gift. That's a wonderful life worth pursuing. That there's, there's no accusation that could ever stick against you. And even if you did screw up, what the Word of God teaches is that there's forgiveness offered in Jesus, and then if we would uh, expose ourselves to God's grace before the sin exposes us, that it's got no claim on us. That if somebody were to walk up to you today and be like, you know what I heard about you? And be like, must be something new because I've outed myself for everything already. I've got nothing to hide. You know what a free life that is? It's what he offers to those who would follow his word. Verse 2, 
Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Because for those who would follow God with all their heart, they're going to live a blessed life. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't come in here this morning and say, you know what, I really wish there was less blessings on my life. I just really wish there was less. No, of course, we would all want God's favor, God's goodness, God's kindness. Even if you don't believe in God in here today, you probably want God's goodness on your life. Well, the promise he makes in his scriptures is that if we obey it, it blesses us. That if we obey God's word, it leads us to a blessed life. Verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Not only does this uh, relate to young people, and and specifically here, he's talking about sexual purity, because if we will follow God's way, it will keep us on the path of purity. But this goes beyond young people and sexual purity. What he's talking about as well is just this, this general purity of life. That if your thoughts were all pure, I wouldn't know what to do with myself if my thoughts were all pure. (laughs) All that mental space would be freed up. If my motives and my intentions were all pure, if my desires and the things I wanted out of life were pure, you know how much less worry and anxiety and stress and greed would be in my heart? Be a lot less. Well, how do you get there? By following God's word. See, not only does he call us to this life of purity, he provides us uh, resources throughout the scriptures to show us how to get there, right? You consider Proverbs 6. It's not on the screen, but consider Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6 is a story of a young man uh, headed towards something that was impure, and it marks out the steps he took before he got there. What is that? That's a lesson for us to watch these steps, to see these as indicators in our life and where we're headed and to turn. He warns us in other passages of being uh, on guard about selfish gain or loving money because it will lead us to many pains of greed. Right? These are pathways for us to live a pure life. Verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. You know that feeling when you get a huge bonus at work? Or, or somebody gave you a Christmas card and they just absolutely blew you away with a gift inside. There's all of a sudden this freedom that comes with financial freedom that I get to make different choices. I don't, I don't have to put all my money here. I get to decide. I get to dream. I get to enjoy what I want my money to go do for me rather than, rather than what I have to do for my money, right? Like there is a certain joy and freedom that comes from uh, having financial freedom. Well, that's what he's talking about here with the scriptures, if we would obey God, if we would follow, it's going to give us joy that's greater than those riches. And here's what I mean. You ever been at a, a decision point in your life and you have the, the easy decision to make, which is probably the wrong decision, and the hard decision to make, which is probably the right decision, and you chose the right decision, even though it was hard, and you walked away from that moment feeling awesome, just like, ah. <sighs> That was difficult, but man, that was right, and that felt good, and I don't have to hang my head about that. I just feel awesome. But what is that? It's a freedom that I have nothing in my life that I have to walk around with regret for. I don't have to pay off a debt of relational mess-ups anymore because I made the right decision. Well, that's freedom. And that freedom is going to create this reward inside of us that you want to continue to make those type of life choices because it makes you and leaves you feeling better in the long run than the short-term gratification of the flesh ever will. Jump to verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. 
You ever been in a tough spot in life and just thought, I just need to call my mom, or I just need to call dad, or I just need to call a friend, and I need to talk this out. Well, what is that? It's you coming to an impasse, not really sure, do you go left or right, and being humble enough to realize you might not have all the answers, which is awesome. It's a great step in your life. But here's what the Word of God would offer to us. You have a counselor not only in your mom, but you have good life counsel in the Word of God. That it speaks to every area of our life. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, it has uh, good help for you. Now go to your friends, go to your people, if they're giving you good advice. Sometimes we go to our friends who are going to give us the bad advice because it makes us feel less bad about the bad decision we've already predetermined to make. Which is why we need the Word of God, to help us keep us honest. Let's jump to verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. As you navigate the, the, the pages of Scripture, what you'll see is people who are walking through or have walked through hardship, much like the one you might be feeling right now, or much like a season you've walked through. Consider the prophet Jeremiah, committed to do the right thing, following God, uh, speaking on behalf of God to the people, and the people he was trying to love, you know what they did to him? They threw him in the bottom of a well and said, shut it. <laughs> they left him in there. They, they belittled the man. What do you do with that? Well, you watch a story. Because one of the benefits you have in Scripture is you get to see the whole story. Where we don't have that benefit in our own lives, do we? When we see our problems, we see them sometimes as the end of the story. Well, that's not true for God. God has the end of the story. But we don't always get to see how it ends right away. But when you read it in the scriptures, you go, man, God redeemed Jeremiah. And God redeemed Isaiah. And he redeemed this individual's stories. And he redeemed theirs. Maybe he could redeem mine too. Maybe my worst days won't be all of my days after all because I see the comfort given to me in the scriptures. See, it strengthens us in our sorrow. In our difficulties, as you read through other passages of the Psalms, you get to hear the emotion of David, a man after God's own heart, saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I trust you. And now my heart has been given a pathway to navigate my doubt, that I can be honest, but I need to return to what I know to be true of God, that he never fails. Let's look at verse 32. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. You ever wanted to just know more about life? Like you've met those people that they just seem to know a lot. They're really in tune with how they think. They're really in tune with their heart. Uh, they know a lot about even the world and how it operates, and they just seem really peaceful and calm. It's probably because they have a pretty good worldview, is a word we would use in Christian circles. They have a good worldview of what life really looks like, that it's not just this small little moment in life I see, but I see the broader picture of life. Well, well reading God's word broadens our understanding of life. Because as you, you hear narratives around us, and I mentioned Judges earlier, but I'm going to come back to it. You hear narratives around us of what would be good for society and what would be good for us. Can I tell you there's, what Scripture also tells us is there's nothing new under the sun. And so if we're dreaming it up as the new solution to life's problems, it's probably in here already. And we get to see how that problem and solution worked itself out. Well, then I can come into life's problems today with a totally different perspective. I get to see life from a much bigger picture because I see it from the written word of the God who created life 
itself. Jump to verse 89 with me. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. God's word is never outdated or irrelevant. Can I tell you, this is not what you're going to hear from mainstream media, and this is not even what you're going to hear from some churches, unfortunately. There's people who say, oh, there's, there's parts of the Bible that are archaic and outdated, and can I just tell you they're history lessons for us? They're a different point in time where we get to see things from a different perspective, but it's never outdated. There's always something to learn. Now, I'll be honest, there's some really boring parts in there, okay? Numbers puts me to sleep better than the news, okay? It just does. I'm going to be honest with you. But there's, there's truth in there that is not irrelevant for us. And the way it speaks to the most sensitive issues of our day, it is not outdated. And here's why it's not outdated. Because the God who was and who always will be, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, they're his words. They're his words, not ours. They're not man's. And so the wisdom contained in them are not stuck within the generation they are written. There is truth within there which will prevail for all of eternity. Jump to verse 105. If you've never read this passage, you've likely heard this verse out of this passage. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. When life seems dark and you're not really sure which way to navigate, if we could go to God's word, I bet you 99 out of 100 times, it would speak almost directly to the issue, if not indirectly to the issue you're facing, and it would bring a light to your path. One that's way better than a GPS navigation through Taiwan. It would show us the way. Here's the last one I have for us. You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. So the word of God is true and trustworthy. The question we need to ask about scripture is not, is it true and trustworthy? Because um, like I said earlier, the question we're really asking is the creator of the universe, the God who knows all, who is all powerful in all places and all time, um, does he know a few more things than I do? I sure hope so. And I don't get to decide right and wrong. One day, if I become the God of the universe uh, and I get to make my own planet and make my own creation, then maybe I'll get to decide that. But I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I don't think anybody's going to trust me to that position. And so for now, I have the decision I have to make. Well, I let the guiding desires in my heart, which may or may not be right, Lead the way and be truth for me? Or will I allow the words of God to be right and true? See, the question isn't for me anymore, is it true or not? The question is, will I obey it or not? As you read the scriptures, what's going to happen is you're going to find things that you disagree with. And the question you have to ask is, is the Bible right and am I willing to change? Or is the Bible right and I'm unwilling to change? I was given a Bible when I was five, and I wasn't yet a follower of Jesus, and the, the Bible was a King James version, and if you love the King James, I applaud you and your old English understanding, uh, but I read this Bible as a five-year-old, and it created a really weird relationship with the Bible for me, because as I read it, I thought to myself, why is this so complicated? It's already hard enough to understand. Now you put it in old English, these and thous and thuses, 
and I feel like I'm trying to talk to an alien. And so by and large, I didn't have much love for the Bible early on. I got saved when I was about 12, and, and I still had a weird relationship with the Bible from there on out because uh, the Bible had been used largely as a club in my experience. It had been used to manipulate my behavior, been used to get allegiance out of things, and I really disliked the Bible because it just seemed like all God wanted to do was beat me over the head and not show me this love that he talked about. And so I had a really odd relationship with the Bible early on. And then I just committed one day that if all these Christians were all about it, I needed to see for myself. And so I just started digging through, but you know what I did? I made this decision very early on that when I came up against something that was in the Bible that I didn't like, it was in the right and I was in the wrong. A hundred times out of a hundred. You know what that did? It changed me. It grew me. It shaped me. It made me repent. It made me apologize. But you know what it led me towards? A life of freedom. It helped me leave behind the bitterness and unforgiveness that riddled my childhood because I stared at the grace of Jesus at the cross and thought, either this is ridiculous or this changes everything. And I believed it to be true and it changed everything in my life. See, this Bible is only good to you and learning things about it only matters if you're willing to let it change you. You could be a Bible scholar. You could know more about the Bible than I do. And if you don't let it change you, it means nothing. But if you let it change you, it could lead you not only to what you ultimately desire, but it could lead you to be the type of people that other people look in on your life and go, tell me how. How do you live with so much joy? How do you live with so much ease? How do you live with so much regret? It's not complicated. It's knowing the love of God and walking in his ways. That is the life of freedom that he offers us. And he offers it to you. But here's the thing. You can't really get there on your own. See, if I learned the Bible all on my own without people in my life, I'd end up coming to some conclusions that were pretty convenient for me, that were pretty comfortable for me. Why? Because it's easy for me to bend the rules when nobody else is around on what I think God is calling me to do. But when I'm in community, when I'm with other believers who are going to, and other people who are trying to figure it out for themselves going, ah, I know you want that to say that, but here's what it really says. And here's what it means for your life. I go, okay, right? It's good. Not only is it good, it's the pathway God has designed for each of us. And so we want to give you some opportunities to not only uh, discover the Bible for yourself, but to discover it in community, which is why we're always talking about small groups here. We have a couple options for you. Obviously, there's, there are in-person small groups, which on the back, they're going to be on the white pieces of paper, uh, where usually uh, several of the groups are taking these conversations from Sunday, and they're diving into them and trying to figure out how to apply it to their life. Uh, if your schedule is chaotic and you just can't make it to one of those, uh, there will be some blue pieces of paper out there, uh, which are going to be just online Bible studies through the YouVersion Bible app. So there won't be any set date that they take place. Uh, there'll be a group leader. Uh, there's five of us uh, that will be leading these groups. And you'll go through a Bible study together. There's a, a chat where you can read and comment and learn together. If your schedule's all over the place and you're like, I can't commit to a time right now, that's okay. We'd love for you to jump in one of those. It'd be a great opportunity for you to uh, dive into the Word of God. If you don't like sitting in small groups talking to people, great. You don't have to talk to them. You get to type to them, uh, which will be even easier for you. But I want to show you a video here real quick of a man uh, whose life was radically changed by not only the Word of God, but by the community that he chose to surround himself with. 
I got connected to a small group when I first started at Bridgewater in Montrose, probably about 10 years ago. Honestly, I went there because my kids were going to Voyager and I didn't want to drive all the way back home. At first, I didn't have much interest, but quickly learned to really like the small group and lean on the people in it and started even going when the boys didn't go to Voyager. I would say right from the start, I, uh, I was aware that it felt very warm when I was there, very friendly, and I wanted to be a part of that. I made some good friends. Two of my best friends are people I met in my very first small group. They were there for me when I have bad times, and likewise, I was there for them when they have bad times. Uh, I'd say that's the, the depth of my growth uh, spiritually has been through small group. It's a good chance to apply what we learn and to put it into practice on a day-to-day -day basis as we all go through life. It's nice to see other people, not that I want them to struggle, but I'm not alone going through the same struggles uh, that they are. So it's good to have someone to stand by when you need them. I would say in my life, I've got lots of people that I would call friends or they would call me their friends, but they're not the ones that are gonna point it out when I'm going the wrong direction. They're, they're not the ones that are gonna pull me back in when I'm making some bad decisions. Uh, when you're in church on Sunday, at the end of the service, you're getting up and you're going home. And what you do at that point may or not be affected by church. When you go to small group, uh, you're interacting. That's when you're talking and they're talking. You're not just listening. And you're sharing life events and struggles and hurts and triumphs. And that's where you really, bonds are built. Sin can be broken that way and uh, life can be much more full when, like we say, when you're, when, you're, when you're not alone. I think if you don't get in a group, um, coming to church becomes a, a box that you check. I did it for the week. Uh, I'm a good man, I'm holy. Granted, small group is a couple of hours and you could argue that it's a small percentage of your week, but there you really interact and you put into practice both mentally and through speech and what you're learning and what you're sharing. And that's like, that's where the growth comes. That's where you become a better disciple. That's where you learn to reach out to people. Something triggers in your heart where you want to come to church and you want to come to small group and you want to serve people and make a difference. Having some godly men and some godly women talking about what it's like to have a godly husband. Uh, I don't know how to measure that. That was huge as far as becoming what I wanted to be, what my wife needs me to be, what my children need me to be.